You know, several years ago, I was working for a coffee company, and I had gotten hired, and I had been there for maybe just a little bit, and I'd only been there maybe six months, and I had done a pretty good job, you know, and so my, my supervisor, who was a friend of mine, started saying, you know what you need to do, and you've had this success early on, what you need to do is you need to ask for a raise. You need to, ask, you need to, go, to, go, to go to our boss, and you need to start putting pressure on him. So what he advised me to do was he said, what you need to do, you know, now, Again, I was in a foreign country, you know, I was, I was in the People's Republic of China, I was working for an international company, but this was their branch in China, so I just thought, okay, this local guy is saying I need to ask for a raise, then I need to defer to the culture, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't do that, but since I'm in another country, maybe I should consider what he's saying. So what he said is what you need to do is build a case, you need to start talking about your accomplishments, you know, really build them up, really talk about what you've done for the company, and then say, you know what, you know, based on what I've done, you, you know, give me a raise, man. And if you do that, then I'm going to really work even harder. Now, when I did go to my boss, KB, and I said, you know, I built the case, wrote the email, sent it to him, his response was, no, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a raise. In fact, don't come ask me about this again until you've been here with us for a year. So at that point, I felt really embarrassed. You know, I felt, I didn't feel really good about my boss. And I'm like, man, this guy, you know, I've, I've worked hard and, and he's being stingy. But I also didn't feel very good about myself, you know, because I had, I had gone to build a case and I felt kind of helpless, you know, because I didn't get the response that I was looking for. We all have to make judgment calls when we're approaching people in positions of authority, right? Sometimes we have a lot to go on. Maybe we've got years of experience with this person. But like in my case, I hadn't known him very long and I kind of got some bad advice that put myself in a bad spot where I didn't feel very good about me or about the other person. Sometimes we don't have a lot to go on, but we know that our attitude beforehand, it's going to significantly impact what happens next. And not only will it affect the outcome, but it's going to impact how we feel about the other person. It's going to impact how we feel about ourselves in the process. Today, we're going to talk about our attitude when we approach God through prayer. Now, most of us approach God respectfully, right? We say, God, you know, I know you're God, and I, and I know you're good, and I know you're, you're powerful. And so we approach him respectfully. But it is our beliefs about who God is that will affect how we feel about ourselves and about God after the interaction. In fact, it's going to actually impact the decisions that we make and the kind of lives that we live. That's how important it is, this view or this perspective of God. So Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 5. I'm going to take it a couple of verses at a time. And Jesus is teaching his disciples. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, so this is a parable. This is Jesus using a story that the disciples could relate to. To make an important point. And in fact, he was going to challenge the common view of God that many people had at that time. And though they can relate to this situation, you know, somebody coming and knocking, asking a neighbor for help, it's a little bit unrealistic. I mean, you wouldn't go to your neighbor in the middle of the night and ask them to provide food for you for a guest that had come to your home. So it's a bit unrealistic. 
but he had grabbed their attention with this unusual request. You see, Jesus, the master teacher, has grabbed their attention. Now, in this situation, the needy neighbor is confident, either because of his relationship to the neighbor he's asking from, or possibly just what's expected by society with this request. Now, what would be an expectation for us in our society today? When somebody does something for you, you say, thank you, right? When you bump into somebody that you know, or at least is an acquaintance, do you kind of lower your head and walk by, or do you, you speak to them, right? When you've got a, a lady coming up behind you, or somebody with a, a, a sack full of groceries, and, you, and you're the first one in the door, what do you do? You hold the door. Well, you take it. I mean, I'm not sure that's what we're looking for. I'm just kidding. No, but you, you do. You help them with it, okay? Those are just things that are expected. So that the neighbor is confident that there's going to be the response that he's looking for. Now look at verse 7. Jesus again shocks them. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in the bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now we can understand this response, but Jesus has really got their attention now. Because the only thing more unusual than the request that has been made is this neighbor's ungracious response. This is shocking. I mean, this is tabloid worthy. A neighbor refusing to help when their neighbor has a need. So he's really got their attention. And what Jesus is about to do is he's going to use this example of an ungracious, behavior's respo- ungracious neighbor's response to contrast it with God's graciousness. You know, in our society, it's become normal to ignore expected courtesies, hasn't it? Yeah? I mean, you see it every day in traffic at the store. It's a sad state of affairs. I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you. We are not in this together, right? That's our society now. So what an opportunity for us. If we can just do the little things, speak to people, say thank you, Leave a reasonable tip. Oops. I mean, these are things that we can do to show that we serve a good God. What an opportunity for us. Verse 8. Now that he's got their full attention. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, eventually, the reluctant recipient of this request for assistance, you know what happens? He doesn't do it because he's a good guy. He's, he's embarrassed now. His neighbors come to him and say, I need help. And he says, no, but the neighbor persists. The neighbor just stands there, continues to wait for a response. And now this guy's a little bit embarrassed. And he gives in and gives him whatever he needs. You know, in this situation, the needy neighbor's persistence is an expression of confidence. Many years ago, um, when I was young, Sunday nights would roll around. And I I don't remember when it started. Maybe my dad can tell this. Um, They would play James Bond movies on Sunday nights. And for us, you know, that was a real big deal. But you know what the problem was? You know, we had school on Monday. And you know what time they started? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock at night to make to, with the intention that the kids would be in bed. And, you know, for several weeks, we were real frustrated that mom and dad were staying up and watching these things without us because we all enjoyed watching them together. Of course, I didn't understand any of it, you know. I was just a kid. 
We would pressure mom and dad week after week, hey, can you let us stay up? Just this once, let us stay up. Come on, mom and dad, let us stay up. And then one time, they made the mistake of allowing us to stay up. And then guess what we did every week after that? Because we knew that if we persisted and we kept asking and we kept asking and we kept asking that eventually mom and dad would give in. And I'd like to tell you that we're better for it. But that's what's happening here. The neighbor is persisting. He's saying, if I keep at it, if I keep asking, I know that this guy is going to feel so embarrassed that he's going to give me what I need. Now, if we're not confident in a response, will we persist? Will we? I mean, when you come up against somebody and they're like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, not going to help. But if it's somebody we know, a neighbor, a family member, and we persist, we are confident that they're going to respond. They're going to help out. All right, verses 9 and 10, Jesus switches gears. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So he uses some analogies here. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus is now going to use this provocative story to make an important point. If an ungracious friend will eventually live up to his neighbor's confidence, how much more so can they expect their heavenly father to provide what they need? Jesus exhorts the disciples to ask. He exhorts the disciples to seek. He challenges them to knock. And these are all common analogies, asking, seeking knocking. He promises that God will give. He promises that God will reveal. And he promises that God will open doors. What do you believe about God? This is a little bit personal, maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Do you believe that God withholds things from you? That you ask and you plead and God just says no? No. No, I'm going to withhold. Or do you believe that God gives? Do you believe that God reveals secrets? That he wants things to be clear? That he wants you to know? Or do you believe that God leaves it foggy? And that it's his right. He knows. And he, he doesn't necessarily want you to know. Do you believe that God opens doors? clears the path for us to to walk confidently into the future? Or do you, in your experience, have you felt more like God kind of closes doors? He's not paving the way. Do you believe that God is active? Or do you believe that God is passive? You know, what you believe about God, it's going to affect how you relate to Him. And in fact, our beliefs about who God is, they're going to affect the choices that we make and the lives that we live. Do you trust God, or do you deal with God kind of like an underling deals with a superior? You know, when I tried to convince my boss to give me more money, I did two things. I tried to build a case. You know, I I spent time thinking about my accomplishments. Look at these results we've achieved. Look at what we've accomplished, and look what I've been instrumental in making happen. And so what I was trying to do was two things. I was trying to show him, number one, that it was due me. You know, he kind of owed me for what I had done. You know, I got a paycheck, but he owed me for what I had achieved. And number two, 
I tried to encourage him and say, hey, if you'll take care of me, brother, I'll take care of you. I will more than repay you. I'll work harder. I'll work longer hours. I'll get bigger results for you. Sometimes this is how we relate to God, isn't it? We use our good behavior as leverage to try to convince God that he owes us or that we're going to pay him back, right? God, you know, I, you owe me. Look at what I've done for you. I've come to church. I've read my Bible. I've shared my faith. You kind of owe me a little bit. Or we come at it from another angle and we say, God, you know, if you'll take care of me, if you'll fix this thing, if you'll open this door, if you'll reveal this thing, if you'll provide what I need, man, I'll pay you back. You just watch me, man. I'll be, I'll be faithful. I'll be obedient. You, you're, you, you, you won't have had a better servant than me. If you'll just take care of me, I will pay you back. But this is not how Jesus wanted them to view his heavenly father. God is not a superior doling out resources as rewards or withholding them as punishment. That's not the way he wanted them to view God. Let's take a look at the picture that Jesus himself paints. Verse 11 and 12. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, at this time, the religious system did not portray God as a loving father. It portrayed, think about the, the temple system at that time. How did you go to worship? It's a lot different than how we worship now. You would, you would go to a temple. You know, a common meeting place. You'd come with money in your pockets because you had to buy things. You had to buy an offering that could be sacrificed. It cost you to come to worship. And God demanded payment. He demanded sacrifice before you could even come into his presence. And if you came in the wrong way, it may not turn out good for you. So what kind of God was being portrayed to them? More of a just judge, huh? Who requires payment. But look at what Jesus is doing here. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? This is kind of ridiculous, right? Even some of us fathers who aren't the best dads, we're not perfect. But if your child asks you for nourishment, provision, you're going to give him something poisonous? If they ask for an egg, are you going to give him something that's going to harm them, possibly kill them? Absolutely not. It's kind of ridiculous. Again, Jesus is shocking them. Of course not. But so this is a brand new idea to them, that God is a father, because that all they know is God, the righteous, God, the just, God, the powerful, God who deserves things from us. Now, if you ask my children a couple of questions, I can predict the responses. Number one is, does daddy give you everything you want? You'll get a strong response on that one. <laughs> no! And I wish he'd give me more. I mean, come on, dad. Get with the program. Does daddy discipline you sometimes? Yeah. Do you like it? No. <laughs> but then the third question, does daddy love you? Yeah. Yeah. So does daddy give you everything you want? No. Does daddy discipline you sometimes? Yes. But does daddy love you? Yes, absolutely. 
Have you ever blamed God for something that negatively affected you or your family? You know, in these situations, we're tempted to accuse God of not taking care of us. And we feel like we've done our part. We've held up our end of the bargain, and God's not doing his part. It's not fair. But are we viewing God as a father? But if we believe that God is our father, what does the response of faith look like in hard times? Verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, in other words, he's not, I mean, obviously none of us are perfect, but he's saying you're not God. God is good. You're evil. You're not God. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he is challenging to, to consider not God the judge, but God the Father, God their Father. Jesus is challenging them. You know, because many of these men had already experienced or were going to experience severe hardship. Most of them would give their lives for what they believed. So what was going to carry them through? So Jesus was challenging their present and future unbelief. And he's saying, God is a father. You are his children. And you know what validated this experience for them? The days and weeks and months and years that they spent with Jesus. You know, they got a chance to observe that Jesus knew his father well. To observe Jesus' intimate relationship with the father. They got to see the Father's power be played out through Jesus. And then a short time from now, they would see that God's favor and obvious love and affirmation of Jesus did not prevent Jesus from suffering. And so they're getting a picture of what it looks like to have a good Father. And it's going to help them through the hard times. In hard times, the response of faith trusts that though God may be withholding, his nature is giving. You know, recently I was discussing movies with my kids, and you've done this too. All my friends are, all my friends are, all my friends are, right? All my friends are watching this, all my friends are listening to that, all my friends are going there, all my friends are doing that, so why can't I? Huh? What's your excuse, Dad? You're so lame. But the truth is, though we're withholding things from them, our desire is to give them the gift of innocence for as long as possible. Because the older they get, the less innocent they become, the more complicated things get. So even though God might withhold things from us, his nature is to give. Though understanding may be concealed, his nature is to reveal. You know, God desires for us to know him and to know what his will is. But we don't see it all clearly right now. We may not see it all clearly until we're on the other side. Though the way seems blocked, you know, I can't, get, I can't see where to go, I don't know what to do. God's nature, who he is as a father, is to open doors. And though God may seem passive... We trust that he is active. So what about you? Do you pray to a withholding, concealing, door-closing, passive God? You know, if I'm honest, sometimes I do. I mean, I, I was 
praying this morning and checking myself and saying, you know what, I'm not, I think maybe my view of God gets off base from day to day. You know, if, if this is true of you, then your prayers and your behavior, go ahead and add that into your notes, your prayers and your behavior are characterized by four things. Number one, by clinging, by clinging. You know, when we receive a gift, isn't it natural for us to feel ownership? We start out like this, right? But watch a child, ask him to, on Christmas morning, hey, can sister play with your toy? That's what the hands do, right? They close up. So we receive it freely, but then all of a sudden we feel ownership. And we start clinging. But God calls us to live with open hands. And so then in response, God says, hey, stop clinging to things so tightly. This is what we do. <laughs> we open one hand and we start concealing, you know. Oh, I, I'm, I'm open, God. I'm living with open hands. But no, you're clinging. I'm clinging. We, whatever comes into our hands, we just want to protect it. We want to build something around it. We want to ensure that we're going to have what we need. Number two, your prayers and behavior are characterized by anxiety, you know. Anxious, nervous, shaky. Now, this is something I struggle with. You know, when I need something from God, whether it's financial, whether it's health-wise, whether it's direction or leading, anything, when God does actually provide it, I'm, I'm really relieved. Wow, God, you came through. But I'm only temporarily relieved. In a very short time, I start worrying about the next thing. And I get anxious and I get nervous. And I, and I have a hard time trusting that God's going to provide again. It's ridiculous. But this is what we struggle with when our view of God is inaccurate. Number three, urgency. God, give me a sign. Show me a sign, God. I need to see something. I need an open door. I need a response. God, God, come on. Come on, God. I need to see something. Because seeing is believing. That's how a lot of us live, right? I'll believe it when I see it. But God is calling for us to trust him and believe it before we see it. And then fourthly, frustration. Come on, God. Come on, God. You know, I, I went to church. I've read my Bible. I've prayed my prayers. I've done my part. When are you going to hold up your end of the bargain? Isn't this how we struggle? Clinging anxious, urgent, frustrated. It's an indication that we're not viewing God properly. So instead, by faith, I would encourage you today, number one, to release. Release your fears. Release your self-focus. You know what God wants from us is He wants us to trust Him and to live with open hands. You met someone like this? When their hands are full, they're thankful. When their hands are empty, they continue with that childlike trust in their Heavenly Father. Do you know someone like this? You know, whenever it, their hands are full, they're grateful, but they're not worried, and they're not, and they don't start to do this, right? That's what we're tempted to do. Whenever we receive from God, we want to start clinging to it and claiming ownership of it and then building walls around it and ensuring that it's ours. But that's not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to release. So that like, like Job in the Old Testament, 
the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Number two, he's calling us to anticipate. Anticipate a response. Anticipate that God is going to give us what we need. Now, there's an important point. He's going to give us what we need. What do we need? What do we really need when you boil it down? What do we not need? So when this becomes a habit of living with open hands, then our hands remain open and they're ready to receive from our good Father. But the temptation is to grab, right? To Not only to cling, but to grab. I'm going to grab for myself. I'm going to get this and I'm going to take that. See kids in the store when it's Christmas time. I want this and I want that. I want it all. And our temptation is to grab and to ensure and to acquire and to accumulate and make sure we've got enough. In fact, I'd like to have more than enough so that I can enjoy it. But God's calling us to anticipate, to release, and to be ready to receive. Trusting who God is enables us to wait patiently and expectantly. This is the posture that God desires for us. In trust and live with open hands. In trust to be ready to receive. And then number three, to rest. You know, God is active. To trust that God's nature is to give. God's nature is to reveal so that things are clear for you and me. God's nature is to open doors for us. And we need to remain confident. God is not late. He has his reasons. When you think about the story of Lazarus, they were so upset, Mary and Martha, that Jesus delayed coming. Why did you wait? Our brother died. Why did this happen? But Jesus wasn't late. He had his reasons. Not only was he going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he was going to use that to prove to them that God's power was flowing through him and to glorify God. You know, our dogs are a terrible example of the first two things. I'm bringing them up again. They're very anxious. They're very nervous. They're very clingy. They're very needy. But they're a perfect example of the third thing. You know, our dogs are so aware of their dependence on us. And they will wait very patiently for us to provide. You got, you got pets. They just look at you. They've got no other options. They're just waiting for you to provide. And you know what happens is their faithfulness and in, in their dependence on us, it inspires us to be dependable. But our situation's even better. We know a God who created the world with us in mind. He's personal. He's been intimately involved in the management of his world from the beginning. And he cared enough to sacrifice his own son to make forgiveness available. Jesus died for your sin and for my sin because his father our Father told him to. I mean, Jesus went to Gethsemane and he just pleaded with God, does it have to be this way? Does it have to be this way? And the Father said, yes, it does. And the Son said, okay, you're my Father and I'll trust you. God promises to take care of those who put their trust in them. Scripture says, he who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. So what if we would be willing to release what we cling so tightly to? What if we could train ourselves to anticipate what we will receive 
You know, it's going to happen. God will come through. I know it. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. Let's be focused on what we're going to receive rather than what we won't. What if we were able to resist urgent and faithless striving? Isn't that what we struggle with? I'm going to grab. I'm going to take. i got to go. i got to get to make sure that I'm taken care of. What if we can remain confident that God is not late and that he has his reasons? How might this affect your prayers? You know, how might this affect our quality of life and decision making? And imagine a life of release, a life of anticipation, a life of rest in the Lord. You're going to live better. You're going to sleep better. You're going to rest better. You're going to love better. You're going to give more generously. You're going to be better positioned to make a difference in this world. Or are we going to struggle with clinging and anxiety? Let's trust the Lord. Let's entrust him with what's most precious to us. And let's see him do great things. Pray with me. God, thank you for this morning and just this opportunity to study the scriptures and to be taught by Jesus, the best teacher that's ever lived. Thank you for this lesson, God, that we can trust you, that you're not a just judge who's demanding payment from us. You're not a withholder. You're not looking to take from us. You're not looking to close doors and conceal things, God, but you are looking to open doors and provide for us and take care of us. But as our Father, God, we don't always understand your ways. We don't always understand why you do things, why you don't do things, God, and we're tempted to doubt you. We're tempted to struggle and strive for ourselves. So God, I pray that this morning that we'd all be willing to take the challenge that you've given us this morning and live with open hands to release those things that we want to cling to, to wait expectantly for you to provide and for us to receive, and then to live a life of rest so that we're ready to know you, ready to serve you and ready to be used by you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray.